We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Job chapter 2. I will read two verses from there. These are verses you and I are familiar with. We've read them before. But I'd just like us to look at them again this morning. Job chapter 22, verses 28 and 29. It says this, You will also declare a thing, and it will be established for you, so light will shine on your ways. When they cast you down, and you say, exaltation will come, then he will save the humble person. So it's, the Bible tells us this, you know, you will declare a thing and it will be established. And so shall light shine upon your ways. So what you declare will be established and will be the means by which light will shine upon your ways. You know, some of us could be in a situation where we are in a dark, in a dark situation. You know, which way to go? You know, go left, go right, go straight. God, what's happening? It's all dark around me. How is light going to shine into that situation? Well, here's one way the Bible tells us it's going to happen. It says, you make a declaration, it will be established, and that's how light will shine. So shall light shine upon your ways. Amen? And then, when, then it says, next verse says, you know, when others cast you down, others are pressing you down, what are you going to say? You know, our normal reaction is, you know, everybody's putting me down. But the Bible says, when others are putting you down, you will say, exaltation will come. You're going to say, exaltation will come when others are putting you down. And what's the result? Then it says, after you've made your declaration saying exaltation will come, then God will save the humble person. Then salvation comes in. Then deliverance breaks through into your life. So in darkness, make your declaration. Amen? Let's say it together. In darkness, make your declaration. Because it says, once you declare a thing, it will be established, then light will shine. When others are pressing you down, you're going to say exaltation will come. And then, after you've made your declaration that exaltation will come, then you, God will save. God brings healing. God brings deliverance. God's bring, God brings lifting up. So your declaration is so important. Amen? Let's stand up to our feet as we make our declaration this morning. I want you to hold your Bibles high up in the air. Say this out loud with me. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing. To many people, I receive His Word. I believe His Word. And I live by His Word. Christ is my Master. 
And to him, I am an absolute surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, all of us, uh, we sing about God's amazing grace. And uh, we enjoy songs about the grace of God. We even like to talk, talk about the grace of God. But I think it will benefit all of us if we just explore God's word a little bit more and understand, get a grip, a better grip on the grace of God and learn how to appropriate that grace in our lives. And so for the next few Sundays, we're going to be talking about God's amazing grace. Talk about God's amazing grace. And this morning, just as an introduction, I want to touch on, a few, uh, on several different things. There may be isolated thoughts, but they, these are things we're going to delve in uh, to greater depth in uh, the weeks to come as we talk about God's amazing grace. You know, our God is a gracious God. I mean, He's very, very gracious. There is no limits to the grace of God. Amen? The Old Testament, in fact, in the book of Exodus, the 34th chapter, the 6th verse, it says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. God is merciful and gracious. He is a gracious God. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 10, it says, He's the God of all grace. God of all grace. And not only is He a gracious God, but He's also God who gives or imparts that grace or endows us with that grace. It says there in James 4, 6, but He gives more grace. He gives more grace. So if you and I, in case you and I feel like, you know, I really need more grace. Well, God is ready to give you more grace. He gives more grace. Amen. He is so gracious that He's ready to impart more grace than what you and I have experienced till now. More, more grace. It's up to you and me to say, God, I just want more grace in my life. There's no limit to His grace. But what is grace? When we talk about God's grace or God's amazing grace, what are we talking about? In the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament, grace is used in three different contexts. One, grace talks about divine favor. God's divine favor. We'll explain that a little bit. Second, it talks about God's empowerment, divine empowerment, or divine enablement that comes upon a person, comes upon your life and my life. And then grace also is used in the context of divine character, that there's the expression of who God is, God's character, His virtues. So grace is used in these three different contexts in both the Old and New Testament. So let's just examine them a little bit. You know, when it talks about divine favor, God's grace as divine favor. It's talking about God being uh, gracious to us, showing favor to us, pardoning our sins, being merciful to us in our wrongdoing, giving us or doing things for us which often is unexpected and 
many times undeserved. He's been gracious to us, generous to us. And also talks about us being acceptable or accepted in His eyes. Divine favor. All of this is wrapped up in divine favor. God's grace as divine favor. Just God accepting us as we are. Finding favor in His eyes. Like it talks about Noah. Noah was a man who found grace in the sight of the Lord. He found acceptance. He was accepted in the sight of God. Now, the, a very important truth that you and I must keep in our hearts is... That as believers, we are standing in grace. Or we are in a position of grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, you know, we've been justified freely uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have now come in to this grace in which we stand. So we are in a position of grace. This grace in which we stand. The Lord Jesus has ushered you into a position of grace before God. Which means you relating to God is now based on His grace. Amen? God is gracious. We must learn to relate to Him based on His grace. So many of us, we tend to relate to God based on uh, a religious God that we have an idea of, or we think or imagine. He's a religious God. He's a God of rules. He's a God of do's and don'ts, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And so we tend to relate to God as a thou shalt and a thou shalt not God. But we need to change that. And learn to relate to God as a God of grace. Because you, are, you and I are positioned before God in a place of grace. Amen? Are we together on that? Do we all understand that? He's a gracious God. And you've been ushered in. We are standing before Him in grace. And when He looks at you, He is looking at you with all grace. He's a gracious God. He's looking at you with divine favor. You're accepted in His eyes. There's nothing that you can do to be more accepted before God because you're already in a position of acceptance. So now we learn, need to learn to relate to Him based on His grace. Not based on thou shalt, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Not based on religious works, but based on His grace. So God relates to us out of His grace, accepting us, doing things for us, giving things to us which we may not expect and which we do not deserve. The second dimension of His grace is divine enablement or divine empowerment, which is God just releasing empowerment into your life to help you do and become things that you could not do and become on your own ability. That's divine empowerment. For example, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. He says, according to the grace that was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and somebody else builds on it. So he says, look, what I'm doing in ministry, I'm doing it according to the grace that was given to me. 
according to what God endowed me with, according to what God put upon my life. In Ephesians 3 verse 7, he says, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. I became a minister by the gift of God's grace. So ministry or serving God is really an outworking of His grace in our lives. Amen? So when somebody looks at you, know, you look at somebody and say, you know, how could that person be doing what he's doing? Well, it's an outworking of the grace of God. God has graced his life that way or her life that way. And that's how that person is able to do what he or she is doing. Because of the grace of God. On that person's life. Amen? So grace is divine empowerment. It's divine enablement and empowering. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says this. And he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And His grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more than the others, more than the other apostles. And yet and I, but it was the grace of God which was working in me. And even the gifts of the Spirit, they are actually gifts of grace. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 it says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different gifts, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but the same Spirit. The word gifts there is charisma. The root word is charis, which is the Greek for grace. So there are different gifts. Charisma, gifts of grace. Charismata, gifts of grace. That's where we get the New Testament, or the English word charismatic. So when you say charismatic, what do you mean? Uh, let's talk about the English word automatic. What do you mean when you say automatic? It means it operates on its own. It's so charismatic. It operates by grace. Are you charismatic? I hope so. You operate by grace. Charis means grace. Of course, we are all charismatic. You may call yourself Methodist, but you are charismatic. You operate by grace. Amen. So the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, charisma, they are gifts of grace, endowments of grace that are just God's working in our lives, not dependent on our qualifying for them. Amen? Are you all awake still or, or asleep in grace? You know? <laughs> Say, I not only stand on grace, I also sleep in grace. And the last part is about divine character. Grace is divine character. We won't be spending too much time on it, but just to let you know. That in the New Testament, grace is also used to talk about divine character. It talks about Jesus in John 1.14. He was full of grace and truth. The Bible tells us, 2 Peter 3.18, Grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Grow in Christ-like character. Grow in His virtues. So grace is also used in that context. So now, I want to just hit upon different aspects of God's amazing grace this morning, and um, we will delve into these more later. Let's talk a little bit about sovereign grace and appropriated grace. Sovereign grace and appropriated grace. Sovereign grace is God just 
putting His grace on somebody. They don't deserve it. They didn't ask for it. They weren't even dreaming of it. It just came on their lives. That's sovereign grace. God says in the Old Testament, in Exodus 33, 19, He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. That's it. That's sovereign grace. It just comes on their life. And, and we hear these amazing stories of people whom we would least expect to rise to a certain position or have a certain kind of influence or impact. I mean, they were the most unlikely candidates. And yet, God's grace comes on them. They weren't even praying for it. They perhaps were even running away from God in the opposite direction. And God's grace comes on them. Their lives get totally changed, transformed. And the next thing we know is they are, you know, doing these amazing things. And you're saying, God, how did that happen? And God answers and says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. In other words, this is a sovereign grace at work. Paul described this in Galatians 1.15. He said, but God who chose me from my mother's womb to sow his grace in me. Paul was chosen, he says, from my mother's womb. Even when he had no idea of God, nothing, God chose him. And he says, this was a working of God's grace on my life. Why did God use this man to write two-thirds of the New Testament? Why did God not choose Peter or James or John or, you know, somebody whom we would think was the most likely person? Why would he choose somebody who never even had any, he wasn't around with Jesus? He was a persecutor. He was a blasphemer of the, of the Jews, I mean, of, of, of the believers. And yet God chooses this man and uses him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Why would God do it? Because of grace. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be. So on the one aspect, there is the sovereign grace of God, which it just happens, and we are just spectators to the whole thing. And yet on the other hand, there is the grace that you and I must appropriate in our lives. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are we saved. What's the next? Through faith. So saving grace is available for every person, but it has to be appropriated through faith. Every person is not saved automatically, although that grace is available for them. They have to appropriate for their lives by faith, ask by faith. So there is this whole dimension where you have to appropriate the grace of God for your life. That's why it says, you know, James 4, 6, He gives more grace... But God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. Meaning, there has to be going on in my life for me to receive more. So here I am, appropriating the grace of God. What qualifies me there to appropriate that grace? He gives grace to the humble. So this is appropriated grace. Grace that I reach out and receive into my life. Make personal in my life. How? By faith. By humbling myself before God. 
Are you listening this morning? So there is grace available for every person in this place. Divine empowerment that can come into your life for you to face any circumstance, any situation. But you must appropriate that grace for your own self. Grace to overcome sin. For young people, for you to live holy lives, you say, you know, it's impossible, Pastor. You don't know. You lived 20 years. You were a teenager 20 years ago. You, you, know, you don't know what I'm going through, Pastor. You know, it's so difficult to you know, be a teenager in today's world. Listen, there is enough grace for you to live sinless and spotless in today's world. Yes, times have changed. Yes, you know, uh, the kinds of pressure you face may be a little more intense. Uh, the media has changed. It's become more and more, you know, aggressive and all kinds of... Yes, uh, all that is true. But there is more grace. He is still giving more grace. So you as a young man or a young woman can appropriate that grace to live godly and spotless and sinless in today's world. You can do it. But you've got to appropriate it for your life. There is more grace. You know, Paul was in a situation, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we quoted a lot. The, the devil was really against him. He says, you know, there was a sign to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Meaning, Satan had, you know, sent his best demon, the biggest, the strongest, go after this man, Paul. Go after him. And so the devil was coming against him to buffet him. And it was over and over again. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. So it wasn't an angel of God, it was an angel of the devil. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. And so Paul did what you and I would do. He said, God, please get this out of my life. He says, I, bes- I-, I sought God three times. I said, God, please take this devil out of my life. And God's response was, What? My grace is sufficient for you. Because my grace is really my strength working in your life in the midst of your weakness. So Paul, you don't need to get rid of the devil. Just appropriate more of my grace. You don't need to change the circumstance. Get more grace in my life. You'll rise above the circumstance. So God was saying, Paul, appropriate my grace, get a handle on my grace. My grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, hey, hey, I'll be happy in the middle of the situation because in this situation, when I'm weak, I'm really strong. How? Through the grace of God. Amen. So many of us, you know, we think God, take the devil away, move this mountain, Change my circum. Listen, listen, listen. It's not about the external. If you can appropriate more of that grace, you will rise above the circumstance. You will rise above the devil that's troubling you. You will rise above the mountain that's in your way, and you will be strengthened by His grace. So we have to appropriate that grace in our lives by faith. Amen. So when you are facing a situation, you just pray and say, God. I want grace. Your grace that strengthens me to overcome, to face, to endure, to go through this situation in my life. I want grace. And He gives more grace. He gives more grace. There's nothing wrong in asking for more grace. You've come through some tough times. 
You've experienced the grace of God in different situations. Wonderful. God's always ready to give more grace. More grace. More grace. My grace is sufficient, Paul, for you. The second aspect we need to talk about is grace and truth. Grace and truth. We all struggle with this. Grace and truth. John 1.14 talks about Jesus. He says, you know, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth flow together in the life and the person of Jesus. And John 1.17 says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus brought together the grace and the truth of God. Flowing together. Now this is important for us because if we only have truth and no grace, we end up in a religion that torments us. Truth is important, but it must be handled with grace. Truth is important. We must all be grounded in the truth. But if you have truth without grace, you will move into a place of religion, religious mindsets. For example, you know, this guy, he smells like cigarettes, he, he smells so bad, and he, he's all that, and yet, you know, a pastor has appointed him as a, I don't know what, you know, like he's a head usher. Amos is not that, okay? Don't blame him. I'm just trying to illustrate. And you say, no, that's not right. When I just walked past him, he smells. How can he be the, you know, how can he do this in church? Or you see, you know, this young man, young woman carrying the, uh, the communion tray. So I know that woman, or I know that girl, I know that guy. I saw him on Brigade Road. He was staggering out of the bar. And Sunday morning, he's carrying this, Ah, he's serving communion. Doesn't pastor do anything about it? Now, I don't know if I need to change the mic. Okay, thanks. All right, so, so here are issues like this. Now, the truth is, the Bible says, for example, many scriptures on this. Isaiah 52 says, be ye clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, 19, 20 says, you know, if a man will purify himself from whatever is evil, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and fit for the master's use. That is the truth. There is no question that we must be holy in our lives. I'm not denying that. But truth in Jesus comes with grace. If we only have the truth and no grace, none of us will be serving communion. If we only have the truth and no grace, none of us will ever in our lifetime be qualified to serve God. None of us. But in Jesus, 
truth and grace come together. Amen. And so as believers, we must be careful not to just side or fall on the side of truth without grace. Because then we are not being like Christ. Because more grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace will not cause us to compromise on the truth, but will enable us to be patient while people are being aligned to the truth. Amen? So, you encourage that brother. You go, yeah, I know, you know, I know you've got issues in your life. All of us have got issues in our life. Okay, but you do what you can now. You go serve God. Do what you can. Whatever you're willing to do, do what you can. We will have grace towards each other. Amen? Are we understanding this? So grace must go with truth. Grace does not negate or contradict the truth. It's an expression of God's compassion. Truth is an expression of His justice. And God is a God of compassion and a God of justice. When we go onto the side of religion, then religion requires without empowering. But grace empowers. Grace gives the person the ability to grow into the truth without condemnation. The other thing we must talk about as well is grace and righteousness. Grace and righteousness. If we turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, Look at verse 20, 21, and then chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Paul is introducing the subject of grace. He says in verse 20, The law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So, you know, the law told us about all the right and the wrong. And, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This is God. Where there is great sin, there is always greater grace. Amen. Now we have stories of people and they were doing all kinds of wrong things and suddenly God steps in, the life is changed, totally delivered. That's God's expression of grace, greater grace. So Paul says, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then he continues in chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So here's the struggle. Grace, righteousness. We know where there is sin that is greater grace. But that greater grace is not a license to continue in sin. Because Paul says, what should we say then? Should we just continue in sin so that grace will keep abounding? Answer, certainly not. Amen? So there is this whole balance of grace which accepts us in spite of our sin. And yet the grace that empowers us and takes us away from our sin. We receive that grace that accepts us in our sin. 
But we also receive grace that takes us away from sin, causing us to walk in righteousness. We cannot use the grace of God as a license to sin or to be compromising our lives. In, you know, in some circles, they call it sleazy grace. Where it's the grace that says, you know, hey, just do what you want. Be whatever you want. God still loves you. It's true, God loves you, but it's not sleazy grace. It's not the kind of grace that says, do what you want and you'll get away with it. That's not the grace in the Bible. The grace in the Bible is the grace that accepts you as you are, but empowers you to become what God wants you to be. It's the grace that makes you uncomfortable with sin. It's the grace that says, grace works through righteousness. I must pursue righteousness. If it's not that kind of a grace, then it's sleazy grace. It's the grace that gives you a license to sin. And and that's not the Bible, grace. Another dimension we need to talk about is grace and works. We know that we are saved by grace and not by works. But some of us interpret that to mean grace, it's the end of all works. And that's not true. You're not saved by your works, but you're saved by grace, and that grace empowers you to work. Amen. You know, we mistakenly think, wow, I'm in this grace. God just does everything. It's the sovereign grace. I don't have to do anything. No. There is the dimension of God's sovereign grace, but there is also the dimension where you appropriate the grace of God to work and go beyond what you would normally do on your own. That's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace which was given to me did not go in vain. That means I didn't waste this grace given to me. How? For I labored more than the other apostles. In other words, I didn't allow God's grace on my life to be wasted. What did I do? I took that grace and I worked real hard. More than the other apostles. And yet not I, but the grace that was within me. I worked hard by the the empowering of His grace. Amen? So there is this... This again, this duality here of grace and works, they coexist in the life of a believer. They do not isolate each other. They flow together. A believer works because he's been empowered by the grace of God. He works hard. He he pushes beyond the limits. Why? Because he's empowered by the grace that enables him to go beyond himself. Grace and works. Last two things. Another dimension of grace you must understand is that there are seasons of divine grace for a particular area of our lives that God that comes upon us. A season of grace. So there is this dimension where you are standing in grace totally accepted by God. But we're talking about the season of divine empowerment that comes on your life. A season. And it may rest on you for a few months, maybe a few years, whatever duration God wants. It's a season of grace that comes upon you or upon us as a church or upon God's people in a certain area for a specific purpose. 
We talked about divine favor and it's very much like that. The grace of God just coming on somebody. Why? To help them accomplish a certain task. In Ezra chapter 9, verse 8, Ezra describes that for us. He says, And now for a little while, this is only a season, for a little while, grace has been shown to us from the Lord our God. Look, he's waking people up. He's saying, look people, awaken to this moment in destiny. We are in a season of grace. For a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. And give us a peg in His holy place to bring us back into the land of Jerusalem. That God may enlighten our eyes. The law was being restored. And give us a measure of revival in our bondage. The people were in captivity. And in the middle of captivity, God was doing something. He was bringing a remnant back into Jerusalem. He was putting them back. And He was restoring the word of the Lord in their, among them. And reviving them spiritually. And Ezra says, people, wake up. We are in a season of grace. Amen. So there are seasons of grace that come upon our lives as individuals or as a church family or as a body in the city. And we must respond to that season of grace. Because that is a moment when God is empowering you. He is doing something in your life. Giving grace in your life in a certain area for a certain task. And you need to catch that Get a hold of that grace and run with it. Accomplish what God wants done in that season. If you fail to do it, that season of grace will pass. And you may be left behind. Unfulfilled. An unaccomplished task. Because you didn't appropriate the grace. That season of grace that came upon your life or my life. Are you listening? It may be a season where God is just... Blessing you with a certain amount of ideas, talents, wisdom in a certain area in your studies or work or whatever. And you just say, wow, God, I never knew I could do this. I, I, couldn't, I didn't think I could able to be able to accomplish it. What is that? It's a season of grace that God is empowering you in a certain way for a certain task in your life. Take a hold of it. Go with it. Put your heart, soul, mind into it. Appropriate the grace so that you can finish the task in that season of grace. Amen. Be open to seasons of grace that come on your life. And finally, Romans 5.17 talks about abundance of grace. It says, if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Through one Jesus Christ. First of all, there is abundance of grace. There is no end to the grace that God wants to give you. There is abundance. Amen. There is abundance of grace. But what does this abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness do for you and me? It says, those of us who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, what will happen? We will... Reign in life. We are going to rule in this life. So there is this abundance of grace which will empower us to reign. Meaning be victorious, overcome, triumph over, to rule, to dominate. 
be victorious in circumstances, situations. So there is this abundance, unlimited reservoir of grace available to us, which if we receive, we can reign in life. So I want to challenge you and me this morning. There is abundance of grace. But we must appropriate it to reign in life. To reign in life. And it's available for all of us. Amen. For all of us. Abundance of grace is available. And the gift of righteousness made available through Jesus Christ. For us to reign in life. What are you facing? You can reign over it. What are your challenges? You can overcome. There's abundance of grace. Which we receive. To reign in life. Through Jesus Christ. Will God give you grace? Sure he will. I close with this verse. Psalm 84 verse 11. The Lord God is a son and a shield. He will give grace. He will give grace. There is abundance of grace available for you. To make you someone who can reign in life. Who can overcome. Who can triumph. Who can win over. There is abundance of grace. God will give grace. You and I must appropriate and say, God, I want to receive that grace in my life. Amen. Can we do that right now this morning? I'm sure all of us need more grace. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.